Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews with your host, Aaron Martell. Hello there. I'm Aaron Martell, and welcome to Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews, a podcast where I talk about and review a rock album of my choice. Today I'm flying solo, no co-pilots, but if you're listening and you're interested in coming on the show to review an album with me, I'm always on the lookout for co-pilots to host the podcast with me. There are a few ways to get in touch with me, which I'll go over at the end of the show. So on this week's episode, I'm going to talk about Elton John's 1973 album, Don't Shoot Me, I'm Only the Piano Player. I've stated repeatedly on the podcast that if you put a gun to my head and force me to name my all-time favorite musical artist, it's probably Kiss because they were so important to my childhood. Well, for me, before there was Kiss, there was Elton John. Elton was the first artist in which I knew and loved the music, and I knew that he was the artist who made the music. Now, I was really young. We're talking like three, four, five years old. I developed a musical interest very early on, and my mother and my Aunt Terry had a bunch of Elton records that they played regularly, and I heard around the house. I was immediately captivated by the music, which was some of the greatest pop ever recorded in the 70s. And the pictures of Elton provided a cool visual without wearing all the crazy glasses and costumes while he pounded on his piano. He was the total package, a true showman. He was the first poster I had on my wall in 1975. It was Elton as the pinball wizard from the Tommy movie. I always wanted to hear his records, and Don't Shoot Me was one of the ones I wanted to hear the most. Elton John records in the 70s always had sweet extra stuff like booklets with pictures and lyrics, and I'd look at the pictures and read the lyrics while I listened to the music. This album had that, and it also had some of his biggest hits, but we'll get to that, don't you worry. And there you have the short version of my Elton John history. So now I'll give you some basic facts about this record, brought to you by Wikipedia, so you know there's no need to fact check anything. Don't Shoot Me, I'm Only the Piano Player is the sixth studio album by English singer-songwriter Elton John, released on January 26, 1973, on the DJM label in the UK and the MCA label in the US. It was produced by Gus Dudgeon and was recorded in June 1972 at Chateau de Roville, France, and mixed at Trident Studios, London, England. It reached number one on the UK Albums Chart as well as the US Billboard 200 Chart and is certified triple platinum by the RIAA. Now I'll give you the album's lineup card. We have Elton John on vocals, acoustic piano, electric piano, Leslie Piano, Farfisa Organ, Harmonium, and Mellotron, Davy Johnstone on Acoustic, Electric, and Leslie Guitars, Banjo, Sitar, Mandolin, and Backing Vocals, Dee Murray on Bass Guitar and Backing Vocals, and Nigel Olson on Drums, Maracas, and Backing Vocals. That's the core band, but there are additional musicians on this record that I'll mention if I see fit. For all songs on the album, the music was written by Elton John, and lyrics are by Bernie Taupin. Now it's time to get into a track-by-track analysis of this album. We start things off with Daniel.
This is one of Elton's major hits. It's a somber, soft rock tune with electric piano and mellotron making the mood melancholy. It's got fantastic, bittersweet lyrics about the narrator's older brother leaving for Spain and the narrator watching Daniel's plane leave. Bernie Taupin said that Daniel was a returning Vietnam War veteran, which is why Elton sings of feeling the pain and scars that won't heal. Daniel leaves for Spain to get away from the attention he was receiving at home. Elton has a way of crafting memorable choruses like all good pop tunes should have, and this is a great example of that. It also highlights Elton and Bernie's songwriting chemistry and fuck the Bernie Taupin naysayers, because I think his lyrics are evocative and interesting, even when they're a little obscure. There's a mandolin buried low in the mix that plays along with the synthesizer solo and repeats the solo in the final verse that again subtly provides atmosphere. This song reached number four in the UK and number two in the US only held off by Wings My Love, which is bullshit because this is a far superior song. It's a phenomenal track and I love it. Next up is Teacher I Need You. hot for teacher he's got it bad the music has a bouncy throwback vibe that makes me think of a jerry lee lewis style tune elton has always been an outstanding piano player who seems comfortable playing almost any style of music and is brave enough to attempt just about anything this track has another great catchy chorus including a whoa hook the lyrics are playful and pretty straightforward and are about a schoolboy who has a crush on his teacher Elton sings this with boyish enthusiasm. I love the I've got John Wayne stances, I've got Errol Flynn advances line, which puts the subject matter across with the proper feel. It's a great tune, and I love this one, too. Moving on, we get Elderberry Wine. This one rocks a little harder, with horns arranged by Gus Dudgeon, augmenting the piano and guitar. The lyrics are a bit of a downer. The narrator's wife left him, and he misses her, along with the elderberry wine she used to make. This upbeat, up-tempo music doesn't seem to fit with the lonely lyrics, but I sometimes like it when songs do that. The words kind of sneak up on you and make you think about them later. Bruce Springsteen does that a lot in his music. You throw in yet another catchy chorus, and we're three for three so far, and this record starts extremely strong, baby. The next track is Blues for Baby and Me.
this song. I love the piano intro, and there's an orchestral arrangement by Paul Buckmaster that frames the nostalgic, melancholy feel of the song. There's also a sitar that I don't think adds much, but it's an interesting sound, I suppose. In my opinion, Elton John is a vastly underrated vocalist. He just kills it on this track, and these lyrics are fucking fantastic. About a couple getting on a bus headed west to start a new life, with a girl's father totally opposed to it, and opposed to the boy his daughter has chosen to be with. The young couple feels excited and terrified at the same time to head off into the unknown. This track is really powerful, and it can get to me. It can kind of creep up on me and catch me in my most wistful moments. And it's mostly because of Elton's singing, his delivery. He can do that to me and bring out my feels. Now we come to Midnight Creeper. I read that this was inspired by the Rolling Stones. They have the song Midnight Rambler with a similar subject matter. It's another rocker with a slightly funky tinge to it and horns blowing over the top. The lyrics are about an unsavory character. Is he a serial killer? Long-haired ladies are locked in his cellar, but they don't mind. Is the creeper collecting bodies? That's kind of how I see it. Shout out to Davy Johnstone, Elton's longtime guitarist, who isn't flashy, but is a very tasteful player. He's got a couple of good funky licks on this tune. It's not my favorite track, but I still dig it. It maintains the album's flow. Now let's flip the imaginary record over and drop the imaginary needle on Have Mercy on the Criminal. This starts with the music swelling, with the guitars, piano, and orchestra. Then it settles into a slow, plodding, almost bluesy number about an escaped criminal running from the police. Maybe the Midnight Creeper got caught and is trying to get away. He describes prison abuse and how prison life is affecting him, but now he's scared. He's got the dogs coming after him, too. I dig the harmonized guitar solo, and Elton turns in a powerful vocal performance, especially on the chorus. Just take these chains from around my neck. I do like this track, but it's a bit too sluggish in spots, so it's not my favorite, but it's good. So let's take a look now at I'm Going to Be a Teenage Idol. This record's gotten violent, hasn't it? Elton sings he's going to be a teenage idol, but not by playing music or being an entertainer. He's going to get a gun and shoot people up and gain infamy that way. It's kind of scary how this 45-year-old song is relevant in today's society. 
There's a societal fascination with criminals and serial killers that these lyrics tap into. Even I admit to being interested in it. The music has a marching rhythm that grabs me. Shout out to Elton's classic rock-solid rhythm section of bassist D. Murray and drummer Nigel Olson, two players who always serve the song and are the unsung heroes of Elton's classic sound. The horns are back, and they're sticking around to comment on the basic piano riff. The chorus has a dreamy vibe with sweet backing vocal harmonies that are in contrast to what the lyrics are about. This one's yet another winner to my ears. Continuing on, we get Texan Love Song. This has a fake country music sheen with the acoustic guitars, banjo, and mandolin. Elton was never afraid to try different musical styles, and sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. He tries to sing with a southern accent like a country singer, but he doesn't quite pull it off. The lyrics are from an imagined point of view of a Texan who hates the long-haired musicians who come to town and corrupt the youth and sleep with their daughters. It comes across as snarky with implicit prejudice and pokes fun at redneck ignorance. I think it's supposed to be a satire on these types of people and not overtly offensive, but I do feel like it's the album's misfire. I get that it's a certain point of view, and maybe Elton and Bernie had experience with these types of people while on tour, I don't know, but it could have been better executed, and this is my least favorite track, otherwise known around these parts as Aaron Stanky Stanker. The penultimate track is Crocodile Rock. This tune is pulled straight from the 1950s in both its structure and its attitude. There's nothing new or groundbreaking, but it's not trying to be. It's a nod to a bygone era with jukeboxes and sock hops and a youth culture growing up with the first recordings of rock and roll. It even acknowledges that the kids outgrew this sort of thing as the times changed, so it also has a nostalgic bent to it. The Farfisa organ Elton plays, in addition to the piano, keep the vibe light and fun, and the rhythm section nails the 50s flavor. Lyrically, it describes living in that time period and hopping and bopping to the crocodile rock, complete with a big chorus featuring a wordless la-la-la-la-la hook. It was a massive hit, number five in the UK and number one in the US. And look, it's silly and goofy, and lots of people hate it, even some Elton fans, but fuck them. It's catchy as the flu, and I love this shit since I was three years old, still do. And now you'll have to put up with this for a little bit. Come on now. La, 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 And that brings us to the final track, High Flying Bird.
Not only is this my favorite song on the record, it could very well be my favorite Elton John ballad of all time, which is saying something the man could play a slow number. It's a sad song of loss and letting go. The girl who is the high-flying bird is left. I believe she dies. And maybe even she killed herself? The narrator's relationship with her was complicated, and she misunderstood his intentions. She thought he was trying to harm her or hold her down, but he says he could never shoot down his high-flying bird. Maybe I'm wrong. I admit these lyrics are open to interpretation. The backing harmonies are gorgeous, and Elton is totally in his prime vocally, as this was the mid-70s. The piano is backed up by organ and acoustic guitar, and the playing is stellar by everyone. On another note, I have a deep personal connection to this track, and it cuts me very deeply. My mom and I once discussed this track a long time ago, and we both agreed it's one of Elton's best. So, cut a couple decades later to a couple of years ago, and my sister and I played this song, among others, for our mom shortly before she passed away. It was one of those moments. Today, this is one of those songs I hear, and it affects me, but I want to feel it. I never turn this off or skip it. And as an album closer, it's one of my favorites. It's a beautiful track. Now that the track by track is done, I'll go into my final thoughts and album rating. For you new listeners, the rating is a 0 to 5 system, with 5 being a favorite record of mine, all the way down to a 0, which is a shit sandwich. I can't believe it took me this long to cover Elton John. What the fuck is wrong with me? He's one of my all-time favorite artists, and it feels like he's been a part of my life as far back as I can remember. He was everywhere in the early to mid-70s. It seemed like he had a new hit single every other week. His songs are shining examples in pop song craft, with a formula of clearly defined song sections, with heavy emphasis on delivering hooky, catchy choruses. His heyday and golden period was the 70s, but he remained active in the ensuing years, and nearly all of his albums have at least one or two tunes that will suck you right in and make you appreciate his pop genius. As a live performer, Elton has always been known as one of the very best, right up to today in 2018, even though he ditched the colorful costumes long ago and his voice has lowered considerably with age. But back in the time of Don't Shoot Me, I'm Only the Piano Player, the Elton John Bernie Taupin songwriting team was firing on all cylinders, and Elton became one of, if not the, biggest acts in the world. I love this record's eclectic mix of styles and textures, and it's probably my second favorite Elton John album. It takes me back to a time when the world seemed simpler to a very young toddler who was discovering music that would eventually blossom into a lifelong passion. So I'm giving it a five, of course. Duh. What'd you think I'd give it? Now I want to take a moment just to proclaim some listener appreciation. The podcast has gone over the 15,000 listen mark. And though I know that those numbers are minuscule in the podcast world, I'm happy and grateful to all of you who have given us a shot, and I hope you continue to hang with us. There's been slow but steady growth in listenership since we started, and really in the larger scheme of things, we're still relatively new. So we hope to continue to gain new listeners and build this thing together with all of you. So thank you so much, and keep rocking on. And that's going to do it for this episode. You can find this podcast at places like iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, TuneIn, and Spotify. So if you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review of it. If you take the time to do that, I'll read your review right here on the show. If you'd like to contact me directly, I can be reached at RidiculousRockRecords at gmail.com and also on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page, where there's a link to hear each podcast. 
You can also review the show on Facebook if you prefer to do it that way. And yes, I'll read your Facebook review on the podcast. You want to come on the podcast and talk about an album with me? Shoot me an email. We'll set it up. I'm always looking for co-pilots to host the show with me, and I would also welcome any requests or suggestions for albums to cover. Feel free to leave all of your feedback, comments, reviews, and or suggestions at any of those places I just described. I'd love to hear from you. And lastly, here at R4, we thank you so much for giving this podcast a listen, and a massive thank you if you like and support the show. Take care, and I'll catch you later. Nah, 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 nah.